Okay, good morning, guys. It's Monday, April 1st, 2013. This is Solder Smoke 151. Supposedly cherry blossom time here in Washington, D.C., but it's, it's still cold out there. And as I told you in the last episode, we're not really winter people. Lisa, especially, is uh, suffering with the the never-ending winter here. We're, we're trying desperately, well, not desperately, we're trying to get the, uh, the springtime gardening season going here. Uh, uh, we had a, a bit of sunshine yesterday. I was out in the backyard working on the garden, working on the, working on the compost piles and compost containers. And, you know, I must say, I, as I've noted in previous episodes, I feel myself slipping ever deeper into full-blown hippie status here. Uh, <laughs> one of these days I'm going to be sporting a uh, kind of a, <laughs> a, a ponytail with a rubber band on it or something and you know, Grateful Dead t-shirts and everything. But for now, everything is under control. A lot of activity on the radio here and in the workbench. I'm happy to say we've been melting a lot of solder and uh, doing a lot of things shack-related. Many things to report here on uh, on the latest episode of Solder Smoke. I was sent into a um, into kind of a oh, oh how can I describe it? I was sent into a burst of uh, of radio nostalgia by something that popped up on my Facebook screen. It was a posting by a fellow named Luis Ernesto, Hotel India 8, Lima Echo Zulu, H-I-8-L-E-Z. Luis Ernesto is a radio amateur in the Dominican Republic, and when I was there more than 20 years ago, um, he and I got involved in all kinds of radio adventures, mostly related to the uh, the RS-10 and RS-12 satellites. Um, and we would stay up till all hours of the late at night, late, all hours of the night, he and his shack on one side of Santo Domingo and me in my shack on the other, waiting for the arrival of the RS-10 or the RS-12 satellite. We had great fun. And uh, Luis Ernesto is still uh, very much involved in the hobby. He has a magnificent shack there in Santo Domingo. And he recently put up on Facebook some pictures from the uh, Dominican Radio Club, Radio Club Dominicano. I was a very happy and proud member of the club for the four years that I was in the DR. And it's a really, it's a really nice club. In many ways, it's, it's similar to radio clubs all over the world. But Luis Ernesto's pictures reminded me of some of the special Dominican characteristics of of the club. It's very social. It's um, It includes the family. It includes friends. So several times each year, they will have a, a cookout in the backyard of the, the radio club. How many radio clubs actually have their own backyard with, uh, you know, lots of uh, nice tropical, you know, palm trees out there? It's fairly close to the water, so there's usually a nice breeze blowing, and uh, they get the uh, the merengue music going, and they get the barbecue cooking, and uh, everybody is having a great time on a on a Sunday afternoon out there at Radio Club Dominicano. Anyway, uh, Luis Ernesto's pictures really kind of spurred thoughts of uh, Dominican Republic there, and I re- was reminded that I recently dug out of the junk box a little PC board that was all that remained of the very first um, for real homebrew transmitter 
that I built. I built it in the Dominican Republic 1993 or so, and it was the um, what's called the 6-watt VXO-controlled transmitter, designed by W1VD, and it appeared in the ARRL book uh, QRP Classics. It's also the transmit circuit for Doug Dumas' famed Barbados rig. Um, anyway, I built this thing, built it very carefully, and I was desperately trying to avoid homebrew failure because I had been through several rounds of homebrew um, failure and frustration. So I built this thing really carefully, and uh, it was a lot of fun to build it in the Dominican Republic. I talk about this in, uh, in Solder Smoke, the book. About part, parts acquisition in the DR. Really, in the days before online um, parts uh, procurement became the standard practice, <clears throat> so I had to go down to um, the Dominican Republic to Santo Domingo's equivalent of Radio Row to find parts, weird parts, <laughs> and and put this uh, put this little rig together. Anyway, it went together, and it was. Um, spectacularly successful. It, it required very little in the way of debugging to get it going. And once I got it going, this thing really, really took off for me. I was using it at first with the Drake 2B receiver. And I remember the very first call that I made was um, with this rig. Uh, I think I was the one calling CQ, and the response came all the way from Poland. And I was just, I was just blown away by the uh, the ability of this of my little creation to reach across the mighty Atlantic and put me in touch with a radio amateur in Europe. It was great, great fun. Anyway, what happened to this rig is later on, when I started building double sideband transceivers, I I had great difficulty in getting the final amplifier stage stable. It's a long, sad, sad story. You guys have heard it many times, but. Um, in in desperation, I reached into the the cabinet of the, it pains me to say this, but I reached into the little cabinet of this this first transmitter. I pulled out the board, and with tin snips, I cut the board like I cut off one third of the board, leaving only the amplifier stages, the driver and the final, and I think the little buffer amp that was in there too on the board and I kind of threw away the, the part that held the uh, the variable crystal oscillator. My idea was that I was going to use this final stage which was stable and just sort of slap it into the DSB rig that I had built for 17 meters and it worked. I finally got the thing stabilized and for for several years in the Azores I used that amplifier stage on uh, on 17 meters. Of course, I modified the uh, the uh, the low pass filter. I know Steve Smith is listening, and uh, I also linearized it because it, in the um, in the CW transmitter it was operating class C. So I used a um, a little diode circuit to put you know 0.6 volts on the base and turn it into a linear amp. I had to beef up the uh, the heat sink a little bit, but we got it going. And uh, I used that for a long time. Now, recently, I have kind of, well, I've improved the final amplifier stages in, in a number of rigs here in the shack by using um, Farhan's uh, JBOT circuit. 
And so when the JBOT went back into the the, uh, the 17 meter double sideband rig, this old amplifier board, the first PC board that I ever really successfully made, um, was in my hands again. And I and at, around that time, Luis Ernesto's pictures from Radio Club Dominicano came, and I was just hit by a wave of Dominican nostalgia. Anyway, I wanted to put this thing back on the air. Last weekend, I I did it. I pulled out a little bit of PC board, and it was like it was almost like a a patch, a a, a kludge, let's say, or a kludge, however you want to say it. But I I just sort of measured the amount of board that had been removed from the original PC board. I cut out a new piece of PC board and kind of attached it to the old one. It was almost like a prosthetic <laughs> PC board. And on that uh, uh, piece of additional board, Manhattan style, I built the variable crystal oscillator circuit that had been designed by W1VD many years ago. and Wow, it worked. It uh, this it required a little bit more uh, debugging when I got it into the um, into the cabinet. I uh, I was having a little bit of trouble at first because there's a spot switch and kind of a TR switch. And what happened was when I turned the spot switch on, um, it would you know I, I would get an indication on the receiver where the uh, the transmitter's frequency was. And when I actually turned on the power amplifier and sent out a signal, signal was okay, but uh, it was um, a couple hundred hertz off the spot frequency. And this is, of course, troubling. You want them to be the same or, or really close. And I poked around a little bit with it with the um, oscilloscope and um, discovered that there was some Kind of, it looked like there was some feedback, some VHF feedback going in there. So I, I went in and I, you know, applied several doses of ferrite and improved the grounding and just improved the connections and it cleaned right up very nicely. And uh, this thing went on the air. And you know, <laughs> it's almost like the radio gods were smiling on me with this rig yet again because it was almost, I'm almost within a couple of months of 20 years. This, this rig was first put on the air in uh, 1993. And um, like I said, the first contact with it in its first life was with Poland. Uh, this time I went on the air and the very first station I heard in there was, uh, let me get my logbook here. I got it sitting right here. Oh man, everything's falling, falling down. But I got on the air and the very first station was Fox 5 Delta Echo Bernard over there in, in France. And we had a very nice contact. And then the next station I spoke to right after Bernard, Italy Tango 9, Alpha Sierra Delta, Ivan, in Catania, in Sicily, a place that we'd actually visited. So, And he actually answered my CQ. So uh, big success for the, um, the uh, VXO6 water. By the way, guys, I have uh, I checked my output, and it is actually a bit below 5 watts. So it's, uh, it's QRP legal. It's back on the air. I'm using it quite a bit. I have it uh, on top of the Drake 2B. I'm not, a, as you guys know, I'm not a big CW guy. I used to be, but I've, I've kind of, you know, succumbed to the lure of the microphone, the chrome lollipop. You know, once you get started, it's hard to stop. <laughs> but um, 
I, uh, I am getting into the CW. I got the straight key there and, uh, I've had a number of really nice contacts. I'm using a crystal that's up at uh, 14060, which is sort of QRP land. So I can go with the VXO. I can actually go up to about, um, 14059 down to about 14050. So that's where I've been hanging out and I haven't found it restrictive at all. It's been, been okay. And um, meeting a lot of nice people up there. And a surprising number of guys running homebrew rigs. I guess it's mostly with the, the frequency. But I was talking to W5VYN, Ron in Texas. He's running a homebrew transmitter. And then I spoke to N3 uh, Papa Delta Tango, Doug running a QRP rig. Um, and uh, all kinds of um, uh, really, really cool stations. I talked to... Uh, one unusual one, Victor Echo One, Papa Victor Hotel, QRP. And um, when I asked him about his rig, he, he's in Halifax. That's um, Paul in Halifax. And when I asked him about his rig, he said it was he was running a QRP rig. And the name of the rig was the Klansman. Wow. It, could, it was with a C, though, so <laughs> I felt a little bit better about it. But I had to look it up, and it's... Um, some sort of a British military backpack rig. Anyway, uh, lots of lots of nice people, good contacts there on um, on uh, on 20 meters with the good old W1 VD rig. The, you know the nostalgia continues. After I built this transmitter, I built um, a receiver to go with it because my ambition was to have a completely homebrew station. Now the receiver didn't come together in the Dominican Republic. The receiver actually was built uh, back here in Virginia. When we were in Virginia, we were back here between, let's see, when we were back here, 96 to 2000, uh, after the Dominican Republic. And I built um, Doug DeMaw's uh, Barebone Superhead from the June 1982 issue of, of QST. It's a 20-meter um, Superhead receiver, single conversion. With the um, homebrew ladder filter at 3.579 megahertz using color burst crystals, uh, a great article. A really simple uh, receiver um, using 40673 dual gate MOSFETs mostly, um, and this was a, a big success for me. I was very careful building it. I built each stage on a different board, so it was all very modular, very easy to um, to uh, to troubleshoot. And uh, the thing came together really, really well. Um, and it's been it's been gathering dust on on the shelf here for for years. So I I pulled it out, blew the dust off it, and it sounds great. I mean, I, I at one point I went in there and widened the um, the the uh, the filter. You could, if you change the uh, the values of the the capacitors in the ladder filter, you can widen it out for. Um, to make it more useful for phone and uh, so the the filter was was widened out it sounded so good that I pulled out the other day I pulled out my uh, my my smartphone and shot uh, a few minutes of video of the uh, of this rig in action and what it looks like uh, under the hood so that's up on the solder smoke blog if you guys want to take a look at it my plan is if the if this uh, fervor for uh, homebrew CW continues and I suspect it might my plan is to, to link up the old uh, 
to pull the old gang together, as they say, you know, to get the uh, the um, the uh, the receiver, the barebone superhead, together with the W1VD VXO6 water, and uh, get on the air and make at least a few contacts with completely homebrew CW station. They they sort of look good together, and um, you'll see a picture of the old station in the video that I just described. So uh, that's what we're doing in the nostalgia area here guys you know I, I commented on the blog page that this this pretty much completes my my rebuild of rigs that I built many years ago and this this may actually force me to build something new <laughs> I know a lot of you are thinking yeah it's about time um, I don't know a bit x20 beckons I, I, I got the urge to jump into the bit x20 um, kind of uh, world universe cult that's out there um, it's a, a lot of good stuff being built by the bidx 20 builders There's a nice community on uh, on Yahoo uh, very kind of globally supportive all spurred by uh, Farhan's original design um, and Steve Smith sent me a really nice uh, 9 megahertz crystal filter out of an old Yesu that would be perfect and, and I could I could make a uh, you know a uh, a bidx seventy five twenty using that old scheme that we discussed a while back. So who knows? I might actually stop rebuilding old rigs and start building a new one. Um, I, I but I've been having a lot of fun with this uh, kind of rebuild uh, uh, process. Okay, let's see. Where are we here? Ah, yeah. Now it's time for the Solder Smoke Book Corner. I've been talking about a lot of books here, a lot of literature, a lot of ham radio and homebrew literature has been coming through the shack, and I wanted to mention a few things. A while back I mentioned that I was reading um, another Walter Isaacson uh, biography. I had started out with Steve Jobs, uh, Walter's book by Steve about Steve Jobs. Um, then, I, then I read his uh, fantastic biography of... Um, Albert Einstein, really great stuff. And then uh, for Christmas, I got his book on Ben Franklin. And uh, I, I, I didn't get really get through it. I kind of stopped there for a while because it, um, well, first of all, you know, we, we think of Franklin as the, as the scientist, uh, as the Franklin, the, um, you know, the inventor, lightning rods and all that. But as you go through the book, it's a, it's a relatively it's a, it becomes clear that that's a relatively small portion of, of Franklin's life, and he was much more of a, a political diplomatic person and a businessman. And I guess I just didn't find it find all the political stuff all that interesting. The part about the lightning rods was was interesting, but like I said, it was a relatively short part of the book, so. We've kind of moved on from uh, from from Ben Franklin. Oh, I wanted to read for you guys something here from I might I might have mentioned this a while back, but I wanted to share with you something. Arthur C. Clarke. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys like me grew up reading a lot of Arthur C. Clarke. There's a a book he's got, Voices from the Sky: A Saga of Vaulting Imagination, Imagination, and Dazzling Prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a collection of little articles that he wrote. One of them is called Dear Sir, and it, it describes how over the years Clark has had to deal with um, letters from people who have come up with 
what they think are great and fundamentally important scientific discoveries and they're seeking um, Clark's help in getting their ideas the attention that they feel they so richly deserve I'll just um, uh, he has some standard responses that he's kind of given to his secretary and she kind of sends these things out as appropriate to the people who write in one of them goes like this dear sir thank you for your letter and enclosures which I have examined with care it is obvious that you have spent a great deal of time on this project and I regret that heavy pressures of work will not allow me to comment upon it at length I think it may be of interesting of interest to dr. Isaac Asimov whose address is <laughs> yours faithfully Arthur C Clarke another one that goes out um, dear sir this is to acknowledge that your letter to mr. Clark this is this is to acknowledge your letter to mr. Clark I will bring it to his notice as soon as he is again permitted to deal with his mail sincerely uh, uh, Pauline the Silva secretary to mr. Clark and then um, he says um, here's another way that he deals with it um, let's see ah um, very effective is the phony technical answer which may run like this dear sir your treatment fails to explain the well-known fact the locust the locus of the contravariant tensor has non-communicative divergence in the region of the transfinite singularity a simple extension of your theory leads at once to the obvious fallacious conclusion that the polarized proton flux will result in a heuristic phase imbalance of the hypergeometric catenary so that etc etc it could go on for ages but this sample should be quite sufficient yeah here's another one um, this is one that he used when dealing with people who are writing in about um, UFOs dear sir you have been completely deceived the visitors from space who landed in your backyard and informed you that they had come from the planet Ying 50,000 light years away are imposters I have definite proof that they are actually from the planet Yang which is only 40,000 light years away yours faithfully Arthur C. Clarke and he says here um, he has another another one that he calls the random letter it has to be handwritten not typed um, and here's the way it goes uh, squiggly you'll see where when he says squiggly that's where the handwriting becomes illegible dear sir thank you for your squiggly letter of the 30th of February which has caused me much squiggling as I, I it is really astonishing that you have completely squiggled my squiggle in particular your statement that squiggle 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 is actually squiggle squiggle is certainly one of the most remarkable pieces of squiggle that I have ever squiggled squiggled squiggle squiggle to you I cannot too too strongly suggest that you squiggle at the earliest opportunity yours squigglishly Arthur C. Clarke anyway <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool so I thought I'd put it in solder smoke why not let's see what else we have here in the book department oh um, yeah a new book called, well it's not it's a new book for me it's called the new cool a visionary teacher his first robotics team and the ultimate battle of smarts by Neil Bascom um, found this in the library at least and I were in the local library here a while back speaking of Ben Franklin we have to say something nice about libraries thank you Ben Franklin there you go let's be fair um, anyway this is talking about um, this high school teacher who gets his students involved in robotics competitions 
um, set up by uh, Dean Kamen, the famous Dean Kamen of uh, Segway fame. But um, uh, he talks about a meeting that was held at, at Kamen's house up in Massachusetts. Let me read you an excerpt here. These teachers and engineers, the bedrock of the first community, looked about in wonder, uttering wow and cool and sweet. At 20,000 plus square feet, it was the biggest house most of them had ever seen, let alone been inside. More amazing, West Wind, which is Cayman's house, was one of a kind, a shrine to the magic of invention. The hexagonal house was set on a steep hill, the highest spot Dean could find between Manchester and Boston. Its centerpiece, the form around which Dean designed the house, was a steamboat engine previously owned by one of his heroes, Henry Ford. The 25-ton, three-story marble a beautifully curved hulk of metal that Dean had rebuilt bolt by bolt was proof that engineering was art. The house, a labyrinth of rooms, levels, and passageways, some cut straight out of the hill's black rock, muddled one's sense of direction. Getting lost long enough, a visitor might discover a professional-grade machine shop, an indoor swimming pool, the elevator from the set of The Sting, countless bedrooms and bathrooms, a chess-playing robot named Turk, the first flight simulator, a 1913 Model T, jukeboxes, slot machines, Einstein portraits, a hangar with two helicopters, an exercise room, a sauna, a garage housing a black military Humvee, a Porsche 928, an electric Tesla Roadster, a cupola from which to watch the weather shift or planes taking off at the local airport, two pulley systems to deliver bottles from the wine cellar, and a secret corridor leading from a wood-paneled library opened by pulling at the spine of Ingenious Mechanisms for Design and Inventions, Volume 4. A 150-foot windmill powered the house and a 3.8 million gallon pond, which Dean had created by blasting out rock and dirt from the hillside, supplied his water. For physical activity, the estate boasted a floodlit baseball diamond and a tennis court. Man, that is a shack. <laughs> that, gentlemen and ladies, is a shack. Okay, I think that's a cool book. I want to keep reading that one. Another one, another cool book, was sent to me by Ben. Ben doesn't have a call sign yet, but he really should. And he sent me this book called Build Your Own Transistor Radios, A Hobbyist's Guide to High-Performance and Low-Power Radio Circuits by Ronald Kwan. I like it. It's really nice, and I've learned a lot from it. I carry it around with me. Thank you, Ben, for sending it. And the one thing I really, it really opened my eyes to was um, SDR radios and what the I and what the Q mean, you know, I and Q, the two, uh, the two outputs from the mixers in most of the hardware portion of the SDR radios. And it, as I read through it, I came to understand it better, and I realized that what's going on in there and the reason you come up with these I and Q outputs is very similar to what goes on inside my beloved Halicrafters HT37 phasing method sideband transmitter. You know, you're... If you get the, the outputs at quadrature, at, uh, at 90 degrees off, you can, um, 
you can then do things like reject sidebands and, and other things like that. So I think this is also the basis of, uh, I think, Rick Campbell's R2 uh, phasing type direct conversion receivers and all that. So it's starting to it's starting to come become clear to me. And thanks for sending me the book, Ron. Yeah, I must say in the book, one thing that I found was a little bit weak was his uh, Ronald uh, Ronald's description of Quan's description of how mixers actually work. And this is one of the problems I have with many of these books is that they when they get to that particular area, they just kind of throw up their hands and and throw in the trig and uh, I always was looking for for more of an answer but it's a wonderful book and, and Ben thanks again for sending it other uh, literature that we're talking about uh, this week is um, uh, an article in the Atlantic um, and uh, 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 this was sent to me let me see who, who sent this to me hold on a second I gotta give, give credit here ah David Umbau no, he didn't send a call sign, but uh, his son had alerted him to this uh, article in the Atlantic, and it's about um, the famous wow signal. This was the uh, signal that the people at the radio telescope, I think up in West Virginia, found one time. They found it one time only. At first, they thought it might be extraterrestrial, but they weren't able to um, to confirm anything. They weren't able to see it again. Anyway, uh, an amateur, uh, Robert Gray, has... Um, dedicated himself to exploring this signal and doing more research on it and he's written a book uh, the link there's a link to it up on the solder smoke blog page and uh, a link also to the Atlantic article uh, very interesting I really like the Atlantic article and I'm, I'm thinking about getting the book because it all looks look very 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 interesting and it's always always fun to see a, an amateur kind of delving into these issues and radio astronomy with all those big dishes is a picture in the Atlantic article of the very large array. Great stuff. Anyway, I, uh, I recommend it. Take a look at the, uh, the blog post on that. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to the um, portion of the show that Click and Clack the Tappet Brothers on Car Talk call the Shameless Commerce Division. I, I know this is a bit controversial. Some people don't like this part of the show, but, you know, we've we got to keep the lights on here at Solder Smoke HQ. Um, this episode of Spotter Smoke is uh, sponsored once again by SMT Solutions. Um, this is a company uh, run by our friend uh, Chris, KD4PBJ, and they'll help you out if you have problems with your surface mount technology projects. I've had these problems myself. Chris and his company, uh, they are experts at sorting these things out. And there's a link up on the very top center of the Solder Smoke blog page. You'll see a big symbol of a distant galaxy there. Click on that. It'll take you to Chris's page, and he'll, he'll get your surface mount problems uh, taken care of. Another thing that I do here, sort of in the shameless commerce section, is that I'm always looking for opportunities to bring more people into the solder smoke, to get more people listening to the podcast, to get more people visiting the blog site. You know, the more the merrier. And uh, <laughs> so uh, we have fooled around over the years with uh, Google Ads, uh, you know, placing Google Ads on other sites without too much good results. But... Um, Recently, I became aware of another opportunity 
for advertising. And this really seemed very appropriate for a show, a podcast, and a blog about radio. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but because of the sequestration and the budget cuts and the austerity, uh, U.S. government agencies out there are looking for all kinds of opportunities to bring in revenue. And this, this, I, I was really um, surprised, but I guess it, it's, 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 it's a sign of the times. Um, they are going to put, well, they're putting, and they're, they're doing it now, ads on the WWV and WWVH uh, time uh, broadcast. You know, we've been hearing these things all of our lives. You know, that's that, you know, 23 hours, 17 minutes, coordinated universal time. Bong! You know, WWV and WWVH. Well, I think they've decided that this is an opportunity to, to make some money. And instead of having those things just clicking all the time, at different points during the hour, there's going to be time segments in which you can put an ad there. And uh, for, for us, it's perfect because we are trying to reach out. I'm always talking about how we'd like to have more listeners in, in China and other parts, other countries, parts of the developing world would be good. So um, the, the, the prices for the initial round of ads were um, very reasonable. I was able to use some of the solder smoke donation money that had come in. And uh, gentlemen and ladies, we are now advertising on WWV and WWVH. They've even got it so that they alternate the minutes so that, you know, you if you're on WWVH at, at a certain point in the hour, you're going to be on. The next advertising segment will be offset by a few minutes, so it won't be you won't be hearing it from two transmitters on the same frequency. But listen, please take a listen. You know, if you've got a few minutes in the shack, tune into WWV or WWVH and let me know if you've heard the announcements because I haven't heard one yet. Um, but they told me that it's that it's started, and I want to know if we're um, if we're actually on the air. So just take a listen and let me know what they sound like. I, I did the recording myself here with our famous Audacity program, but uh, let me know if you hear it. Let me know what you think, and I will let you guys know of the results of this, this ad campaign. So um, anyway, that ends this week's shameless commerce sh section of the Solder Smoke uh, podcast. All right, let's see. QRP, yeah, you know, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of um, torn. You know, I find myself torn between QRP and QRO sometimes, and I know some of the QRP purists are, are disturbed by that. But I have to be honest, and sometimes I do find myself kind of drifting beyond the five watt CW, ten watt phone limit. Um, but I'm happy to say that recently I've been back down at the QRPP. Uh, level, and um, I fired up my 40 milliwatt QRSS Shark Beacon. This was a design based on the groundbreaking work that Hans Summers uh, did in setting up very simple little QRSS beacons. It uses a little multi-vibrator there and an LED to wiggle the frequency very slowly of a 40 milliwatt uh, transmitter. And I, I fired it up recently, put it on the air, and then sure enough, within a few minutes, I could see my distinctive uh, shark fin pattern down on the uh, on the, the the grabber station, the online grabber station of W4HBK Bill, 
the Pensacola Snapper, my one of my favorite uh, grabber stations, most reliable. He must have a fantastic uh, antenna system. I think it's because he's close to the water there, but it's a great system. And my little 40 milliwatt signal was reliably into uh, Bill's grabber down there at Pensacola, Florida, and that was great fun. So I, I was on the air with a uh, 40 milliwatt signal. But then, then you know, then you know when you when when you're feeling kind of virtuous because of your QRP status, you know, you got that kind of feeling of uh, kind of smug superiority because you're using so much less power than uh, those other radio amateurs. Then I found myself being lured, you know, almost like uh, you know, it was almost sort of like a, like a kind of an addiction thing, being lured towards the happy promising world of QRO. Um, I got into a QSO on 17 meters with W7YUM, very interesting fellow. And, um, you know, it's always great to, to meet another radio amateur who builds gear, any gear, uh, these days, because so many of our uh, fellow radio amateurs don't build anything. So when you do run into somebody who actually builds something, you really want to talk about it a lot. And we got to talking about his projects. His projects are really big <laughs> linear amplifiers. He has a picture of his station up on QRZ.com. And when you look at it, you, he has one wall of the shack. And there's a control panel for a piece of gear in the wall. And I asked him about that. He said, oh, yeah, that's because the linear generates so much noise and heat that it's better to keep the innards of the amplifier in the other room. <laughs> I don't have that problem here in the current uh, uh, N2CQR shack. But uh, old man W7YUM builds really big amplifiers, and he and I started talking about how I might get into this world. Um, I don't think I'm going to be buying any of those big 3-500Zs or anything like that. Or those huge tubes that they, uh, they're always talking about, the amplifier builders. But we started talking about a potential project here. Because he said, well, one of these days I'm just going to build a little linear amplifier using, say, two 6146 tubes. Now, this got me thinking. I've been thinking about this before, but his comments made me think about it more. And I'm not obsessing about it. It's just something that's sort of in the back of my mind. But, you know, I have this Heathkit HW101 that I used for a long time in the Dominican Republic. But as I've said here a couple of times, it's not aging well. The plastic is breaking. It's, you know, it's tube sockets on PC boards. So it's a bit of a kind of a Rube Goldberg or Heath Robinson kind of kludge. You know, so um, anyway, the, the one part of this rig that has held together very well is the kind of the metal hardware around the two 6146 uh, tubes in the final linear amplifier and all of the output network um, that goes along with it. That's there. The power supply, the big high voltage power supply is still there, still functioning perfectly. So when you think about it, I have a um, 100 watt linear amplifier just sitting there up on the shelf. I'm looking at it now. It's just sort of staring down at me. And if I were was willing to kind of go in there and cannibalize this this rig and take out all those slowly failing problematic PC boards with tube sockets on them, 
leave maybe the driver and definitely the 26146s and all the output hardware. Ladies and gentlemen, I could be on the air with uh, 100 watts of RF power for the first time in a long time. So this is a potential project. Um, and I just want to let you guys know that I blame W7YUM for, uh, for luring me into the, uh, the world of QRO. I apologize to the, all the members of the GQRP club who I know are horrified and saddened by this news. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and I know I'm not going to get the article on this is not going to appear in Sprat, but, uh, well, the, another one, you know, another, I also want to blame Chris, KD4PBJ. Uh, our sponsor, he sent me a, a, a technical care package, included some great parts, some nice bypass capacitors. Thanks, Chris. But also uh, a handful of really nice but fairly uh, robust uh, heat sinks for uh, solid state linear amplifiers. All these things. It's it's not my fault. I'm I'm just being I'm being uh, seduced by QRO here by high power. For the moment, we're still under the limit, so um, I think I'm, I'm in good shape and I won't be uh, expelled, excommunicated by the GQRP club. <laughs> a, a, a couple things I wanted to, uh, to mention here before we get to the mailbag. You know, um, this idea came to me from Michael uh, Rainey, AA1TJ, and more on him in a minute. He's been doing some fantastic work with... Uh, germanium but in one of his messages he posted that when he was using his um, low power transmitter he had the reverse beacon network fired up on his computer I've talked about this before this is an amazing for me amazing project one of the amazing applications of of, of the internet to uh, to ham radio uh, here's how it works guys all around the world set up what they call skimmer stations using software-defined radios that are set up to look for, to detect uh, people calling CQ. They're looking for CQs. And when the software-defined radio detects somebody calling CQ, and they can look at an entire, I think, a 60 kilohertz range of frequencies sometimes. If anybody in that 60 kilohertz swath is calling CQ, the skimmer and the computer automatically decode the um, the call sign of the caller and upload automatically a report to the website for the reverse beacon network. When I was looking at it, they had 73 skimmer stations active all around the world. And so even with my little 3 or 4 watt uh, transmitter, when I start calling CQ, Listen to this. Before I finish the CQ call, after I give my call sign just one, two, or three times, I'm seeing reports popping up on the screen from stations all over the um, all over the world who are picking up my CQ and reporting. They even give you a report of how far above the noise you are at the receiving station. Fantastic. I mean, just amazing. It really creates an incentive to call CQ. <laughs> I find myself calling CQ even when I know the band is dead because I'm wondering if somebody will pick me up. And it's, it's happened. When the band was completely dead, I was uh, calling CQ and um, I was picked up 
by uh, a station down in Washington, D.C. I was just above the noise. He was obviously getting me by uh, by, by ground uh, ground path, uh, but but there I was. I got picked up, so uh, it was uh, really, really amazing stuff. When you look at the um, the skimmers, the other th cool thing to do is you, you look at, at the skimmers and you can click on the call sign of the station that heard you, and there are some fantastic stations out there running these these skimmers. And I, I put one of them up there, this guy out in Utah. I don't have the call sign in front of me, but you can see him up on the blog. And he's got an amazing location, amazing site for the antenna. And I'm telling you, I, I, I can barely, I call CQ, I put on my call sign once, and this fellow is picking me up. So uh, just, just amazing stuff. And I, I recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Hey, another uh, thing, sort of in the nostalgia department, I um, I started thinking about my Elmer. His name was Hilmar Meyer, um, and his call sign. We were both novices together. Hilmar was a uh, a real advanced. Uh, he was an immigrant from Germany, and he was a a very uh, advanced and skilled electronics technician. Uh, so he was a big help to me in getting me started. He uh, he and the radio club gave me the exam and helped me along. And, and I realize now that Hilmar was the source of the Drake 2B that I talk so much about here. He, he got me the Drake 2B that I have sitting in front of me right now. So I started wondering if, you know, Hilmar was um, a lot older than me. I was a, I was a kid and he was, um, he was an adult with kids. He had kids my age. So, um, I was wondering if uh, if Hilmar is still still with us, and I started looking around to see if I could find him, and I I didn't see too many signs of him on the web, but I did see another Hilmar Meyer with the same spelling, and it's an unusual spelling. It's an unusual name, especially an unusual spelling of the last name. But I found another one, and his call sign is WB2IKA. He's in Fairbanks, Alaska. And I'm all, he's around my age. He's probably a few years younger than me. So I'm guessing that this is, um, my Elmer's son. And if anybody knows Hilmar, he's up in Fairbanks. He works for, I think, the Fish and Wildlife Service, WB2IKA. Let him know that I'm, um, looking to get in touch with him. I just want to touch base, kind of a radio nostalgia thing. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to one of the favorite parts of the show. Yeah. Solder Smoke Mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, Solder Smoke Mailbag. You know, one of the best pieces of mail I got actually came to me via Facebook. Michael AA1TJ, back on the ether. Back in the ether. Crossing the pond with... Um, 13 milliwatts from germanium transistors on a little proto board from Radio Shack using a, a regen receiver based on a, a rig that he built when he was 13 years old, one of his first receivers. It's a thing of beauty. You see these two little proto boards, one with the receiver, one with the transmitter. Michael's crossing the pond, making contacts with these things. Just fantastic, inspirational. And also the... Um, the text, you know, I, a long time ago, I, I named um, Michael the uh, poet laureate of uh, of QRP, um, and I still think he's in that category. Um, 
check it out. It's up on the blog, soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Scroll down a little bit. You'll see Michael's creation and his, his email. Fantastic stuff. This thing really got a lot of response on the blog. And hundreds of people took a look at it. Thank you, Michael, for, for sending that to me. It was uh, inspirational. And again, a lot of good information. And it reminded me of the Reverse Beacon Network, which I'm now having so much fun with. Um, I mentioned our sponsor, Chris, KD4PBJ. He sent heat, skit, heat kits, heat sinks, parts, and also he sent me a, a thumb drive with a huge collection of videos and pictures. He uh, visited the Appalachian Radio Museum, the uh, Southern Appalachia Radio Museum, which is a beautiful little museum. I was really impressed. Very nice. And uh, so I put all of his pictures and a video about the museum up on the blog. Check it out. I mean, there's some rigs in there that a lot of rigs I recognize. Some of it I'd never seen. And uh, some really interesting radio history there. So check that out. I think you guys would uh, would enjoy, especially those of you who are interested in old tube-type radios, would enjoy a visit to uh, that portion of the blog. Uh, got a nice email from Bob, N7EXL. And uh, he, uh, we, he was, we were talking about the Solder Smoke book, and he told me that uh, a lot of it really kind of resonated with him because he, too, has lived the expat life. Uh, his work in, in the mining industry has taken him to Peru and Guyana. And he's had similar experiences with radio clubs, radio amateurs in those countries with building stuff and finding parts and getting things fixed. So it was a real pleasure to get Bob's uh, email. And, uh, yeah, a fellow globetrotting radio amateur. I uh, got a lot of good email from Steve Silverman, our um, expert on all things uh, related to the ham radio and homebrew lexicon. Uh, a lot of discussion of kludge versus kludge. I think that's going to remain an open question. I, it may have to go to the Supreme Court, but uh, <laughs> the more I read about it, the more confused I am. Not only that, even though I was an early advocate of kludge, the more I read about it, I find myself saying kludge. So maybe we'll make it pronunciation optional. You can Some say, you know, you say potato, I say potato, all that kind of stuff. Kludge, kludge, we know what we're talking about. And we do a lot of them here at uh, Solder Smoke Headquarters. A lot of kludges, a lot of kludges. Um, Pete, uh, M0PKH. Oh, wait, okay, I'm going to talk about Steve again in a minute here. Pete, uh, M0PKH, is trying to get an HW8 rig sorted out. I tried to send him some technical advice. And uh, Pete, you'll have no trouble finding uh, technical info on that rig on the air. And I urge you to stick with it. It's a fantastic uh, little transceiver, and good luck getting that going. Kim, VK5FJ, sent us some very nice links. Uh, always appreciate the stuff you send our way. Uh, Kim, thank you. Uh, Dino, KL0S, another um, frequent and very welcome uh, correspondent uh, with Solder Smoke, sent us some pictures and a report on his version of a ham radio hacker space. Wow. What great uh, workbenches and what great test equipment. I'm envious there, Dino. I wish we were living closer to you in Virginia. I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be uh, joining that, uh, that hackerspace group. Thanks for sending that along. Uh, I put it up on the blog. If you guys want to take a look, just scroll down a little bit and you'll see uh, the uh, Dino's uh, ham radio hackerspace. Very nice. Um, Chip, uh, a fellow, his ex-call sign, wb 4 uh, OQN, he's getting relicensed soon, sent us um, 
a description. I had mentioned cootie keys, these kind of sidewinder keys. I made one here. I made one out of a hacksaw blade. But this raises a question. Where does that term come from? Why do they call them cootie keys? Uh, Mr. Silverman, do you have uh, um, some info on this? We turn to you, as always, for advice and guidance on this matter. Um, let's see. Got a nice email from a fellow in Canada named uh, Yi Yao. Yi is, uh, I reported a while back on Yi. He definitely has the knack. He sent us a, an update on his um, radio electronic activities. He said he's not yet started building a, a, a ham radio rig. But from listening to Solder Smoke, he has come to the conclusion that the the main lesson for uh, for newcomers in this area is to, at all costs, avoid regens. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you there, Yi. <laughs> I know others would, but uh, you won't get any pushback from me on that one. Um, he sends along uh, a really nice email, and I thought there was an element of poetry there. April, as you know. I'm sure, is uh, Poetry Month, so I included uh, Yi's email there and a picture of a really interesting frequency counter that he built. You know, when you see this thing, you'll you'll know that I was right in saying that uh, Yi has the knack. Um, speaking of regens, uh, Ted, AJ8T, sent me a nice video on a, um, a regen receiver from Tentec. Um, I, I know he's trying to, to lure me in. I know he's got the best intentions. I have one of those little Tentec uh, regens here, uh, Ted, and I, I will agree it's those are among the uh, the least diabolical of the uh, of the subset of receivers called regens. Um, but uh, I, I remain unconvinced. Um, and I'd like to the last little email I'd like to make reference to it. So I'd like to send out a special thanks to uh, Keith. Victor Echo 3 Tango Zulu Foxtrot for uh, sending us the info on the new WWV and WWVH advertisement program. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of Solder Smoke 151. I hope spring gets going for you very quickly for those in the Northern Hemisphere, and I hope the, uh, the winter is kind and easy on those of you who are in the South, uh, 7-3 from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support.
Ciao, bravi ragazzi!